Well, I'm excited to get into Psalm 40, um, undoubtedly one of the most beloved psalms for good reason. Uh, it resonates with what so many of us know to be true of our lives, and we feel like we're stuck in the muck, and how we need to look to the Lord for our help. So why don't we begin uh, a psalm of uh, calling out to the Lord for help by doing just that, asking him to help us to study this well. Would you pray with me? Oh Lord, we're thankful for another day, uh, another Lord's Day, where we get to open our hearts and through eyes of faith see wondrous things in your word. Would you now speak to us? Would, would you help us to see the place we can turn to for help when we feel stuck? And would you uh, speak to us in ways even beyond what we thought or expect or even uh, have any right to imagine? Uh, Father, would you once again show that you are right here with us? We pray all these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. It was a thank you party like no other. 95 firefighters were gathered around a man named Joseph Barone. There was a special decorative cake commemorating the way they had come to his aid. Back in 2013, he was working underground on a subway tunnel in New York when he made a fateful mistake. He stepped off of the platform he was working on and into some what looked like sturdy mud. Turned out it wasn't so sturdy. And in a moment, his boot was stuck, and then his second boot, and then he was up to his waist in the slurry, cold mess. He said it was dark. He could feel himself being sucked under. He didn't know what else to do. He wasn't sure anyone else was there, but he cried out for help. I was lucky. One of his coworkers was nearby and ran, put his arms underneath his armpits and kept him afloat until help could arrive. In all, it took over four hours with 95 firefighters working tirelessly to keep this man from going under. At one point, it looked so bad that they sent the chaplain down 75 feet into the hole. He said, I just wanted to get there in case there wasn't much time left. And yet, at the end of it, they pulled him up, out of his trouble and back up onto solid ground. Joseph Barone is an example of someone who was saved by the help of others. Now, the Christian life is one that has that sort of pattern to it, doesn't it? Find ourselves in times of trouble, times where we have to cry out for help to the Lord, trusting somehow, some way, his help will meet us. And in the midst of our troubles, we find a new reason to give thanks. Again and again, we find ourselves stuck in the muck, in some deep, dark hole of life, having to ask ourselves, will God come through for us? And we learn this lesson, that in our troubles, we can trust the God who helps. That in our troubles, we can trust the God who helps. Uh, the, the Psalms have a, a shape to them. Maybe remember a few weeks ago, Nicholas Piotrowski preached the whole book, and there was a shape to the, the entire book, this collection of songs. It starts off with lots of songs in the minor key and lament. Lots of people crying out to God in their troubles. And towards the end of the book, it ends up in praise. Lots of people praising God for delivering them. Uh, many Psalms themselves have this structure to them. They start out with a problem, some sort of petition, call it crying out to God, and then at the end, 
the way God has seen fit to answer the prayer, and we praise him as a result. Well, Psalm 40 is a bit unique in the Psalter. It starts and ends with a petition, and in the middle, it has praise. It starts in the past with David thinking back to a time he was stuck in the muck and God helped him. And then it moves to him praising God for what he has done through testimony. And then strangely, though, it ends with a fresh round of trouble. David's found his way right back into another muddy spot and needs God's help once again. So in that way, it breaks the rhythm of the Psalms that we see, and, and yet it teaches us a truth that we all will intuitively know to be true if you live for any time as a Christian, that in your troubles, you could trust your God who helps. We'll, we'll move through it in those three different movements, and, and one through three, we'll see David's thanksgiving, the heart that finally sees his help. Second and four through 11, we'll see testimony, the story jo joyfully told about his help. And then third, we'll see trust, the new troubles that need his help again in verses 12 through 17. Let's begin with that first one, thanksgiving, the heart that finally sees his help. Verse one we see that David has been waiting for help for a long time. It said, I waited patiently for the Lord. I think the ESV's translation hides just how intense this time of waiting has been. The, the Hebrew, it uses the same word twice. I have waited, waited upon the Lord. That, the repetition intensifies it. David has been crying out to God again and again through long tear-filled nights. What's causing him such distress? Well, the way he describes it is a deep, dank, slimy hole. He has been in the pit of destruction. He's in a miry bog. You might say he is stuck in the muck of life. Now, David doesn't tell us specifically what this hopeless situation was. And there's, there's no shortage of them in David's life, if you remember. He was on the run from Saul and so many of his other enemies, even his own son at one point. Many times he was outnumbered. Many times it looked hopeless. And yet David doesn't tell us specifically what it is that makes him feel stuck. By doing that, he allows each of us to insert our own stuck-in-the-muck moments of life into this psalm. Well, in the midst of his distress, he cries out to God and the good news is, he remembers that God heard him. Second half of verse one, he inclined to me and heard my cry. Out of all the long pleas for mercy, they had not fallen on deaf ears. No, God was waiting until just the right time to come and rescue him. And he did just that. He, he drew him up. He pulled him out of that dark, dank pit and put his feet on sturdy rock David remembers that he was delivered as God helped him in a time of trouble, and it resulted in thanksgiving in his heart. You know, one of the great joys of being a father is that you get to be the hero for your kids, at least for a time. Um, 
well, you're, you're so much bigger than they are. You're, you know so much more about the world than they do that the problems to them that seem insurmountable for you are, are really no, not a big thing, right? Uh, I remember one time we were out in an orchard going apple picking with Lillian, and she was small at this point. And uh, it had rained, so the ground was a little muddy. And she's dressed up finely in her little pink outfit, the little pink rain boots, going apple picking, the cutest thing you could ever think of. And, and she stepped into a tiny little mud hole. And I remember watching, it was so cute how helpless she was. She got stuck and you know, couldn't really move. And I saw the whole thing happening. It wasn't hard for me. The, the, the solid ground was literally just a foot next to her. So I just reached down and I picked her up and I put her on the non-muddy solid ground. And she got this look on her face and she exclaimed, Daddy, you saved me. I was stuck in the mud and you saved me. And, and the best part is she kept saying it over and over and over again for months. I was stuck in the mud and Daddy saved me. Now the, the deep dark holes in life, they seem so hopeless to us. It feels like we're stuck in the muck and there's no way we're ever getting out. But how small they are before a great God can reach down and pick us up at any moment he likes. Now there are lots of things that can have you feeling stuck. A marriage that has not lived up to what you had hoped it would be. A job that doesn't seem like it's going anywhere. It frankly has you getting, coming home each night discouraged. A health issue which medical professionals can't give you any answers on or the answers they give you aren't ones you want to hear. There are lots of deep, dark holes that we get stuck in the muck of this life. The question is, will someone come to help us? David cried out to the Lord and he remembers his Lord heard his pleas and pulled him up out of that deep, dark hole and put his feet on the rock. And look at the result in verse 3. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. The help he has received turns into thanksgiving that overflows. And we'll see in a second, actually ends up being something that's infectious, that spreads to those around him. David remembers back to this time and remembers how God helped him. And his heart is filled with thanksgiving. Uh, I wonder this morning, has there been some time in your life where you remember God rescuing you out of some deep, dark hole? Something that you prayed again and again about? Something that you had to wait and wait for? And yet, in his kindness, in his goodness, one day he rescued you out of your pitiable state. Friend, if so, don't just forget about it and move on. Let your heart be filled with gratitude again. Thank him for the way he pulled you up. And let your heart be filled with joy again. Now, but it's not just for us to hold on to the, the things where we see God's help in. In fact, it, it's intended for the benefit of others. And that's what we see the next movement of the psalm. It's testimony, that the story that's joyfully told about God's help in verses 4 through 11. Uh, we get the hint in the end of 3 that this is what this will be about. David says, many see and fear 
and put their trust in the Lord. As he sings this new song, others hear of it and, and their joy is multiplied as well. Verses 4 through 11 take us through a bit of a journey that David went on. They're still in the past tense. It's still him looking backward. And yet they, they show us how this man that has been plucked out of the pit has learned to rely on the Lord. We see three ways, you could say three lessons he's learned that he puts into practice here. In verses 4 through 5, it's the lesson true to trust the Lord. Verse 4, Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. David says that the man who is blessed, the one who is truly in a good state, is the one who has learned to trust God, to rely on him, to have faith in his moment of trouble. Why? Why would it be a blessed state to trust in God? Well, it's because God is the God who can act. Uh, he's so different than those idols that people used to worship. They can't do anything for you. But on the other hand, the God that David worships, he's the God who made us. The God who rules over us. And yes, the God who can rescue us. Look at verse 5. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. God is a wonder-working God, one who is active in this world, and that means he can save, he can deliver, he can pull out from those deep, dark, muck-filled pits. David has learned to put his trust in God because God is the one who can help. There's a, a second lesson in verses 6 through 8. Uh, David has learned to devote himself to the Lord. Uh, this time, David reflects back on his experience and learning that his whole life is in good hands if it's devoted to God. In verse 6, he says, In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. This is a, a similar line of preaching that the prophets have, where, where God reveals to Israel that he hasn't been interested in ritual this whole time. And I mean, think about what God put into practice with the sacrificial system in the tabernacle and the temple. It was a lot of effort, a lot of work. It, it took specially sanctified and prepared priests it took people taking time and money and effort to go to the temple, to bring with them proper animal sacrifices. It, it took the shedding of blood, special prayers that were offered up, and all of it was required. None of it was optional. And, but even as God required these things of his people, the message of the prophets and of David is that God wasn't after the rituals. God was after the heart of those who drew near through them. God wanted far more than a proper lamb or a proper goat. As a heart that bowed before him. A heart that trusted him. A heart that was devoted to him. That's the sort of heart that David says he has. He says in verse 7, Then I said, Behold, I have come, and the scroll of the book is written of me. He, he's thinking as if there's a, a scroll which contains all the story of his life, as if to say, God holds everything about me. It's all his. 
In verse 8, he says that God's delight is his delight. He said, I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is written within my heart. David says that my whole being, all of it, is devoted to you, God. I've learned this lesson through being stuck in the muck and receiving your help. Now, even as it's supposed to be inspiring for us to see this devotion from David, we're we're supposed to see there's something even more inspiring and instructive to us. Because these verses are actually applied to Jesus in Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews 10 quotes uh, these verses basically in full and makes application to Jesus. I'll read part of that passage and uh, share with you the application. So Hebrews 10 verse 5, consequently when Christ came into the world, he said, and then he quotes that this whole section, skipping down to verse 8, when he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. Uh, The application the writer of the Hebrews is making is that Jesus, in coming and devoting his whole being to God, proves to us that God wasn't interested in rituals, that God was interested in the heart, that Jesus fulfills the rituals and shows us the full heart God has that he desires from people that worship him, a heart totally devoted to him. Jesus does that by, yes, sacrificing himself to atone for our sins. He gives us an example of one who trusted God through the deepest of all pits, giving up his life on the cross and and, and trusting his body to the tomb. And yet God raised him up. He was saved through the resurrection. So what we see here is an echo. David's life is preparation for the greater David to come, Jesus, the one who was fully devoted to his father. And gives us every reason to fully devote ourselves to him as well. Well, there's one final lesson from these verses that David shows us. And that's the lesson to tell the story of the Lord's help. You see that in verses 9 through 11. It says, I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips as you know, O Lord. The, The scene is of David great King David in all his splendor in in the assembled congregation of Israel. As they all gathered under their faithful king, he opens his mouth and tells a story. A story that's a testimony to God's power to save. A story about God's help for him when he was stuck in the muck. Uh, David doesn't hold anything back. He doesn't restrain his lips. He, He tells them just how bad it was. So they can see just how good God is. And the result of it is a super spreader event of joy. The the thanksgiving that was in his heart gets spread around to the whole congregation. He has not hidden the deliverance in his heart so that they too can rejoice at what God has done. You see, brothers and sisters, there is a, a great role that we have to play in each other's lives as part of the same body of Christ. And that is to give testimony to what the Lord has done for us. 
Uh, one of the rhythms where we get to do that is every time we welcome in new members like we did today. We hear their testimonies on the way in, and we rejoice about the fact that our God saves us from our sins. I hope every time we, we welcome in new members that you have a, a little moment of joy in your heart remembering that fact. And yet we have a, a more personal, ongoing role with each other. When, when the Lord sees fit to help us when we are stuck in the muck, we have a duty to share it with other Christians, to tell the story of what the Lord has done. I, I remember once being given the assignment to go visit a man. The pastor that sent me said, uh, ask him the story about his scar. I said, okay. So I went to visit him and graciously welcomed me into his home. And sure enough, there was a scar running from the base of his neck up behind his ear. Uh, so I asked him, could you tell me the story of your scar? And he got a smile on his face and told me his story. It turned out he had been a big, strong brick house of a man, a police officer down in Miami. Didn't really need anyone's help for anything. He was the guy people called for help. That is until one day he started to have really intense headaches. Headaches that were so bad that he couldn't muscle through them. He, he found himself utterly paralyzed by them. He went to the doctor and he heard the words that he had hoped never to hear. You have cancer, a brain tumor. And in fact, the only way we can save your life is by opening up your skull and bombarding it with all sorts of radiation. Over the course of his treatment, he went from a brick house of a man to a man that was barely there. He just wasted away in front of everyone's eyes. And yet, as he told me the story, there was no bitterness. No, there was joy. He told me, I learned to trust the Lord through that experience. And God saved me. My life has been spared. and It's been decades since then. And now I don't hear out of one ear, and I'm a lot smaller than I was, but I've learned that the Lord will help me. I wonder, do you have a story like that? Has God pulled you out of a situation that seemed hopeless? If so, you have an obligation to, to spread your joy around to others. And one way you can do that is through your hospitality. If you have someone over to your house, it's a great time not just to have small talk, but to, to share these stories of how God has helped. Uh, consider asking the, your guests this question. Can you tell me of one time God helped you in your life? Or ask them the other way. Would it be all right if I shared with you how God helped me at a low moment? Watch the way that God uses the stories of the way he's worked in the past to spread joy from one heart to another. Next Sunday, we're going to have a unique opportunity for us to do this uh, as a church. We're going to do our prayer meeting a little differently than we normally do. Um, next Sunday evening, we'll have lots of opportunity for you to stand up and tell us a story. Your story of how you've seen God help in your life. And I'd encourage you to come to the prayer meeting. I think you'll find it encouraging. But I'd also encourage you to be praying about what God would, would have you share what moment of you being stuck in the muck of life do you have a story of grace to share to encourage other believers? Well, David has learned a lot during this experience being drawn up from the pit. 
And yet, life is still not easy for him. Turns out he's going to have to put into practice all the things he's learned because new troubles are about to come his way. In verses 12 through 17, we finally make our way to the present. We see our third and final point, trust. New troubles that need his help again. He begins in verse 12, For evil, evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head and my heart fails me. David blends together two sets of troubles into one image. The troubles are his sins and his enemies. He imagines them both as a, a platoon of soldiers that are out, out for his blood. They're chasing him down, and now they're surrounding him. There's too many of them. He can't get away. There's so many of them, he can't even see around them. There is no hope. This is the end of the line for him. It's so bad that he says even his heart fails him. That's as if he's saying, I, I can't do this. I don't know how I can cope with this. It's too much. You ever have a moment like that? Maybe you have a moment like that this morning. What, what do you do when your heart is failing within you? Well, David's answer is what he's learned through that pit experience. And that is to cry out for help. In verse 13, be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Once again, he is crying out to God in desperation. But this time, something's different. This time, David has a clarity about who he is and who his God is. Look in verses 16 and 17. Let's see if you notice the growth in David. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, great is the Lord. As for me, I, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help. And my deliverer, do not delay, oh my God. David is a new man crying out, stuck in the muck once again. He's learned the, the difficult but beautiful clarity that only suffering can bring. He's learned that there is no ability that he has to help himself. He is poor and needy. The, the anointed king of Israel is powerless in the face of yet another trouble. And yet, he knows that the Lord, the Lord hears him. The Lord takes his plight into consideration. The Lord will deliver him again. The Lord is his helper, his deliverer. So he cries out anew, do not allay, oh, delay, oh my God. Brothers and sisters, the, the Christian life is a cycle, a cycle of trouble and crying out to God in that trouble and seeing him deliver through that trouble and trusting him through new troubles that are to come. As long as we walk through this life, we will find ourselves again and again stuck in the muck of some sort of unhelpable problem where only the arm of the Lord can reach us. The lesson to be learned is that in that moment, in your troubles, to trust God because he is the only one who can help.
Uh, maybe you're here this morning and you are younger. Maybe uh, you haven't had more than 20 or 30 years on this earth or less. Maybe life has not had too many hard things for you. I, I hate to break it to you, but if you live long enough, at some point or the other, you're going to resonate with David. You're going to feel like you're stuck. Now, at that moment, you have a choice. You can turn on God or you can turn to him. You can get angry at God as if he's done something wrong with, to you. Or you can get on your knees and plead to God, knowing that he has lovingly even allowed you into this pit so that he can rescue you out of it. Students, don't believe the lie that Christians are intended to go from one wonderful thing to the next with no hardship in between. Learn now that you need to cry out to God, but learn also that he is faithful to help in your day of trouble. Now, if you're an older Christian, someone that has a few more decades under your belt, maybe you've lived through several of these dark, dank, stuck-in-the-muck moments in your life, I hope you have gratitude as you think back to those hard things that God has helped you through. I hope you haven't gotten bitter thinking about the pain and the difficulty, but instead that your heart is filled with, with even joy and gratitude. That when you tell someone about a hard thing that you lived through, that you're able to say, great is the Lord. I, I, I was poor and needy, and yet God met me in a way no one else can. I don't know how many years any of us will have in this, in this life. But I know that there will be fresh troubles if we live long enough. Those troubles, that's those stuck in the muck moments are meant for you to turn back to the Lord. To ask him yet again to help you in your trouble. To give you grace like no one else can. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, I wonder, what do you do with the hard things in life? What do you do with the reality that loved ones die? What do you do with the loneliness of depression or with rejection? What do you do with hardship and uncertainty and anxiety? How do you cope? Do you try to pretend like those things don't exist? Do you try to medicate yourself with things that will give you an out-of-body experience? Do you try to just talk yourself through positive thinking into a different mindset? Uh, the Bible is very realistic about the fact that there are many, many deep, dark holes that life will bring us into. But the Bible has a message for you today. That you need to trust the only one that can really help you. The only one whose arm is long enough and who is powerful enough to raise you up out of whatever deep, dark hole you're in. And that only person is the Lord, the God who made you. The message of the Bible is that you've, we've all run headlong into a pit. That we've slipped on the slime of our sins and found ourselves in a situation that none of us could ever get out of on our own. But that the good news is that God has sent someone to rescue us. His son, Jesus. That Jesus gave his life to pull sinners out from the pit they deserve to stay in. And Jesus has put our feet on solid rock. The rock of our salvation. Knowing that we are saved now and forever. Because our God 
is our deliverer, and he is our helper. If you're not a Christian this morning, I hope and I pray that you would find out how it is that you can find God to be your helper. Ask a Christian friend how you can do that. Brothers and sisters, in your troubles, you are meant to trust the God that can help you. That's true in every season of life, and that's a lesson that we will learn again and again and again until one day our troubles are over and we are with the God who helps us. There's a woman named Annie Johnson Flint. She wrote a lot of wonderful hymns, and she lived a really, really hard life. When she was young, her father passed away, her mother passed away, so she had to live with her father who couldn't take care of her and her sister. So she was shuttled from one home to the other, an afterthought. Eventually, she grew up, but her troubles were not over. She came down with rheumatoid arthritis at a time where there was no good treatment for it. Uh, If you're not familiar with the disease, over time, your joints not only become achy, they become twisted. Her fingers and arms became crooked. And yet those twisted fingers wrote some of the most beautiful words of trust in our God that have ever been written. Her life got even more difficult from there. Eventually, she suffered from cancer, all manners of different sores. Before her death, her biographer says that she had so many different boils and wounds all over her body that it took seven pillows for her to be able to lay comfortably. A woman who suffered with a problem where there was no way out from. There was no real help for her. You might think she might grow bitter, but quite the opposite. She learned that the Lord was her helper. She wrote these words in a poem turned into a hymn called What God Has Promised. God has not promised skies always blue, flower-strewn pathways all of our lives through. God has not promised sun without rain, joy without sorrow, peace without pain. But God has promised Strength for the day, rest for the laborer, light for the way, grace for the trials, help from above, unfailing sympathy, and undying love. Brothers and sisters, in your trouble, trust your Lord who can help. Let's pray.